Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. And welcome to Fast Break Breakfast NBA Podcast. My name is Keith, here alone for a solo interview episode. Chuck and John will be back in a little bit for a new full episode. Intro is going to be short because the uh, baby dungeon took in a little water last week. As the remnants of Harvey passed through Nashville, the basement got some of it. Wasn't good, but it's, uh, it's just more of an inconvenience than anything. Had to take down all the podcast stuff, so... I'm recording on the USB mic uh, right now. Uh, it's for the people who got an actual raw deal in Harvey and Texas. If you can give anything to those people, definitely reach out and donate money to those people who have lost and need to rebuild. All I need from you is a five-star iTunes review. And, of course, if you want free stickers, just send me a DM on Twitter at FastBreakBreak. Break. Uh, if you want to join our iShop negative fantasy basketball league it is filling up i think we already have 16 spots confirmed so there's going to be four spots left unless we end up starting a second league hopefully we start a second league there's that much interest but if you want to get in on the negative fantasy league uh or one of our two regular head-to-head fantasy leagues make sure you go to patreon.com slash fast break breakfast and sign up for the four dollar a month option you will also get added to the Slack chat and the Pickle Pick'em Challenge and get the bonus Patreon content in addition to those fantasy leagues. So if you want to support us and get one of those last four spots in the initial international stackhouse of pancakes, negative fantasy league, go to patreon.com slash breakfast. My guest today is a writer and podcaster. You can find him at Complex Sports and Liberty Ballers covering the Sixers. He also co-hosts the Step Over Pod and creates process-inspired t-shirts for Step Over Tees. And this is his third appearance on Fast Break Breakfast. Mr. Max Rappaport. How are you, Max? Doing great. Uh, Good to have you. How was the trip? You're now on the West Coast, right? Yeah, so I moved to Seattle uh, from Philadelphia about, well, I I guess I left about a month and a half ago. Um, I drove out there and kind of took a long road trip to do it. So I've been there for about coming up on a month and a few days. What was uh, some highlights from that winding road trip across the country? Uh, You know, I I would say, so I did a bunch of national parks. The way I went was I went down through Tennessee. um, I went across basically like I-, I-, I-40 um once I got down to Tennessee just across the the whole way so through the Texas panhandle over to New Mexico um over to Arizona and then up I thought maybe the coolest part of the trip was we went to Zion National Park which was awesome yeah. um in southern Utah that was like the most scenic part um 
We did some cool hikes. I maybe would say that Yellowstone was my favorite just because there was so much cool wildlife. And that was like the, the thing I was most excited about, about going on, on these hikes and camping out. Uh, it got to be a lot though. We we, we basically <laughs> camped for two straight weeks, um, like car camping. So I was pretty happy to get to Seattle and it's been pretty awesome out here. Uh, no NBA team, which sucks, but uh, everything else is pretty awesome out here. Well, eventually you're going to have that awesome West Coast, all the NBA games are over at 10 p.m. thing, which I'm always jealous of. Like, you, you can podcast after all the games are over and go to bed early. That just seems, yeah. yeah, that seems amazing. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about that part of it. The only thing that's a little tough is the Sixers start, so they play at 7 back on the East um, as opposed to 7.30 like some teams do. So they start at 4 out here if they're at home which is really cool if I'm not working that day or if I get off early, but there are days where I work until like six or seven. So that's going to be an adjustment. Um, cause I've never, I've never missed a Sixers game because I had to work just because they're always late. Uh, but it'd be really nice to like watch a game, have it be six thirty, and have the rest of my night to do stuff instead of it being nine thirty. And then also being able to watch all the West coast games and like, definitely the the national games because those are you know even for me and i'm i'm definitely a night owl and watching like i don't know warriors clippers or warriors blazers you know a 10 30 or 11 start on the east coast is really rough so i'm excited to get to get that at you know a normal hour now yeah i kind of want to do that sometime in my life like i love living in nashville but Man, that West Coast, having the nights free, it seems amazing. I mean, I love the NBA, but also it's a, it, it feels burdensome sometimes. Like, well, I guess I got to watch Suns Kings. Um, <laughs> so, uh, hey, tell me, when you passed through Tennessee, I know I was out of town. Did, did you stop in Nashville? Maybe have a breakfast in Nashville? We stopped very briefly. Uh, we, so I was going to a wedding along the way and the wedding was like a Western themed wedding in Montana. So I did stop at a, I forget the name of the place. It was like a consignment shop there to buy a bolo tie and also some other like Western accessories. Uh, and then I also, we got barbecue. I, I forget the name of the place. It was like one of the, it was like the Pats and Geno's of, uh, of Nashville. It was like a place on the strip down to, I forget what that was it was it Martin's called. barbecue or was it, it wasn't uh, Martin's okay was it I'm actually not even sure what the big downtown uh you're saying it was downtown like on Broadway yeah it was right on Broadway um I'm trying to remember what it was it was it was really good yeah it probably probably locals would have thought it wasn't that good but as someone who <laughs> has lived his entire life in the mid-Atlantic and now lives in the northwest uh it was pretty good was it Jack's Barbecue? Uh, that sounds more familiar, but I don't think it was Jack's. Okay. I don't even care. This, this is, is not this, a, is ex- this is an exciting podcast, yeah, by the way. Well, I, I like to point out, if you're coming to Nashville, hit up Martin's Barbecue. Friend of the show. Big friend of the show. Uh, love them. Anyway, uh, Max, today, did you have breakfast as we get going talking about the Sixers? You know, I haven't because it's so we're calling on a, <laughs> really on a pretty big time difference. So it's pretty early for me. Uh, I have a banana on the desk in front of me. I haven't eaten it yet, but that, that's going to be my breakfast eventually. That sounds pretty good. Um, all right. 
So the Sixers, last time I talked to you, which again, wasn't very long ago, I spoke to you right after the lottery drawing, the lottery party you guys had in Philadelphia, and everyone in Sixers Nation was excited. You guys jumped up to third in the draft. But then, since then, you guys traded up to first in the draft, took Markel Fultz. So what are things like in uh, Sixers Nation right now? It's it's pretty wild, honestly. It's... uh you know, to see the the Vegas line come out the other day and put the Sixers at 42 and a half wins. Like, I think it's the the thing that's different this year or feels really different is that um, the national excitement around the team is on par, if not, I think, higher than the expectations and the excitement in Philadelphia, like relative, obviously. But the fact that they got so many national games that they're projected in Vegas to win so many games, like, I think it's kind of shocking for Sixers fans right now because, you know, even last year when Embiid, you know, when you started the year thinking like, okay, they're going to have Ben Simmons and Embiid uh, and Dario Saric, like there was excitement and like that was the most, that that run before Embiid got hurt was one of the most exciting like months of Sixers basketball in a long time, which is kind of sad to say, but it's true. Um and I feel like then the national, you know, there, there started to be some national buzz. But the fact that like this many people are buying in on what the Sixers are doing, uh, they have Markel Fultz, Ben Simmons is healthy, Embiid is hopefully going to be healthy. Uh, they signed JJ Redick. I think it's this feels like maybe the first time since the year before the Bynum season when they uh, beat the Bulls in the first round, where they actually have a team on the floor that's like rounded out and competent like that team that Bynum year team was supposed to be that but obviously then Andrew Bynum didn't play so it kind of ruined the entire construction of the team but since then they haven't you know you go into every year or you have gone into every year penciling in like Nick Stauskas or Jakar Sampson or uh you know the guys I can't even remember whose names I can't even remember into starting roles um Elliot Williams and stuff like this is the first year where you come into the season and you look at the starting five and it's actually your five best players. And that's, that's pretty exciting. And your rotation, it's like, you're actually looking at guys and going, huh, is like Julio Okafor or Timothy Luau Cabro. Like, are they going to find minutes in the rotation? Whereas before it was like, you were picking guys up off the street to play 20 minutes a night. So with the national buzz, the expectation growing around the Sixers, a joke I keep making on our show is uh, take the Sixers under. And that was before the number came out a couple of days ago uh, with the, I think the Las Vegas Westgate uh, put it at, you know, at 42 and a half because it's just, there's so much excitement. Like the, the buzz is so big around this team. My feeling was, uh, there's going to be a price to pay in Vegas for how much excitement there is and how much optimism this is or there is. So do you think that buzz, that national buzz, you said it kind of, or I think you hinted at it, it was exceeding local expectations. So like, what are your local expectations? Uh, like, are you tempering your hope at all? Yeah, I, I think I am. I mean, I think the problem with the 42 and a half win over under is, like, I think the Sixers' absolute best case this season would be, like, 44, 45 wins. And that's if everyone's healthy, if Fultz and Simmons come right out the gate and look awesome, if Embiid is just as good as he was last year and healthy the whole season. Like, that's – I probably see that as more of a 44, 45-win team. And that's only a few wins over the over. I see their downside as being, like, a 26-win team. Like, if things go really wrong, if Embiid 
isn't healthy to start the year, gets hurt at some point. If Marco Fultz struggles a little bit, if Ben Simmons is like, you know, I think he'll be pretty good from the start, but he's somewhat one dimensional or, or lacking some really important dimensions um, to his game. I, and we'll have the ball in his hands a lot. Like, I guess I would probably set the over under closer to like 37 and a half was what I said on Twitter the other day. It might even be lower, maybe 35 and a half, 36 and a half. I just think 42 and a half is way too close to their best case scenario and way too far away from what I could definitely see happening if things go wrong, like a reasonable worst case scenario. So, yeah, I'm I'm a little surprised by that. I'm also really surprised. um, And this, I guess, is a a temperature gauge nationally. It's just how many national games they have. They're on ESPN and TNT 14 times this year um, after being on like three combined times the last four seasons. And to me, it's a little surprising just because, like, all it takes is a couple injuries to that team, like, and and reasonable ones, like Embiid getting hurt or um, Ben Simmons still not playing back to back, like, you know, coming in and maybe having a minutes restriction or not playing back to backs. And that team is really not that fun to watch. It go they go from um, super exciting and like all the excitement that team had in January, but then you add Marco Fultz, JJ Redick, and Ben and Ben Simmons, or they're like what they were at the end of last season, plus Marco Fultz, which, and JJ Redick, which is, uh, not really worthy of that much national attention. So I'm really surprised by it. And I think there are some Sixers fans who aren't tempering that expectation who are like, well, yeah, I mean, they had 28 wins last year and look at all the guys they added. And I think that's, that's fine. Like that's why I said, if I think if everyone's healthy and, you know, comes in and, meets or exceeds some expectations like 44 45 wins isn't completely out of the question i just think it's like that's that's the better case that i'm looking at not like what i'm i'm not coming in expecting a plus 500 record yeah i i love the national excitement i think it's cool they're on tv so much because in theory i, I like you said in theory this team is incredibly exciting just like the idea of Embiid being healthy, the idea of Ben Simmons translating the things we saw in college to the NBA, and then the idea of Marco Fultz stepping in. But again, as you said, that those are all just theoretical. Uh, it's like this is the idea of the Sixers is really cool. Now the tough part of the long process is when the balls rolled out there in, in October. What actually ha- happens? Um, you said this year they can actually start. You know their five best players. Who are those starters? I think you come into the season with, with Fultz at the one. And I'll, I'll say the positions that I think people get really hung up on. Is Ben Simmons the one or, you know, that, that whole thing. I think it doesn't really, to me, it's who's defending who. And I think it, that works, I think, with Ben Simmons and Marco Fultz on the floor together. Um, ben Simmons will probably handle the ball a little bit more, but I think Fultz can play off ball. So I'll put Fultz at the one. Um, JJ Redick, obviously at the two penciled in or penned in, uh, Robert Covington at the three, Ben Simmons at the four and Joel Embiid at the five. And that leaves Dario Saric off. Um, it leaves TJ McConnell, um, who I think had a really good season last year, but obviously he's not going to start over Markel Fultz. Um, it leaves Amir Johnson off. I mean, the, the rotation after that's decent. I think it's probably like a good eight, eight or nine player rotation, um, but I think it's, it's interesting because, you know, the last few seasons they've really struggled to, um, 
combine the talent they do have and make that work on the floor together. Like it's all been concentrated at the center position. Uh, they've been cycling through point guards. I mean, Sergio Rodriguez started a bunch of games last year. Like this is the first season where they're coming in and, and everyone who's starting, you want to be starting. Like there's not, there's no argument about, well, do we try to start Nerlens Jamal and Joel Embiid together? Do we try to, you know, play, you know, a non point guard at the one, like Isaiah Cannon, the one, even though he's not really a point guard because he's better than whoever we have. Like, there isn't really that, and I think that's exciting um, that you have your five best players re- and are relatively good fits. Like you have a good mix of shooting, uh, playmaking. You have a couple really good defenders in Embiid and Covington. I think it, it looks on paper it looks really good. Yeah, I agree. On paper, that's the most exciting five I can think of. Do you think with Simmons starting though with a front court position, even though he's going to handle the ball a lot, like who's he going to be guarding? Like when this team plays. Um, teams with like, like if they're playing the Cavs and Kevin loves out there at the four, like, like who's Simmons going to be guarding? I think that's interesting. I think, um, that's probably that, that specific one with, with, uh, with Kevin love might be one of the tougher ones I could imagine. Um, I think it, it works with him at the four because most teams don't have someone like Kevin love. They have someone who's, uh, more of a stretch, right? If Kevin loves a stretch player but he's also a really good rebounder and he's big uh i'd probably say he he defend ben or he defend um uh kevin love just because you'd want robert Co- you'd rather have robert covington defend lebron or try to defend lebron than ben simmons do it although i think it's i do think it's flippable like i think if you play a team that has um let's say you're playing the warriors and the warriors are playing a lineup where kevin durant's the four and you know whoever's the the three, like let's say it's Clay Thompson, you, you're sliding him to the three. I think at that point, Ben Simmons probably defends Clay Thompson, and Robert Covington maybe slides in and, and defends. I think Robert Covington's sort of your utility two, three, four, like whoever the best player on the on the offensive player on the floor is. You kind of put Covington on that person because he's a pretty good man defender, and JJ Redick and Ben Simmons aren't. Uh, and then I think you just try to make it work in there. I, I don't think Ben Simmons is such a bad defender that you have to hide him. I think J.J. Reddick's probably closer to that. And honestly, I think Marco Fultz probably is a worse right now is a worse defender than Ben Simmons. Uh, although he, I th- he has more, maybe more potential as a defender. But yeah, I guess I don't see it as a huge concern. But you're right that there are some some teams with more traditional lineups where I could see Ben Simmons having to defend a, a really good traditional four as being kind of an issue. Yeah, I'm trying to run through the teams in my head where it'd be a problem, like like the Clippers with Blake Griffin. But you're right, there's not a ton of uh, big guys like the the Nuggets. But again, you guys don't have to play the West. And again, we don't have to worry about guarding the Warriors. Like that's not a problem, you know. Yeah, you, you can't do it. So it's, a, it's it's not a Sixers concern for a couple of years. Um, mm-hmm. Looking at Dario Saric, I feel like it's become in vogue to kind of put him down or something. I feel like everyone's saying like, he's not that good. He's not that good uh, based on him doing, putting up some numbers in games they lost at the end of the season last year. So let's go the other way. Uh, what can Dario Sarge bring to this team in the coming year? And what did you see last year that is going to get you excited about him? Well, I think, I think by the end of the season, he started the year um, really struggling, uh, mostly from the floor. I mean, he was putting up decent numbers, um, his assist numbers were super low in the beginning of the year. He was really just like a catch and shoot and rebounder. And actually his defense was like a little bit better than I thought it was going to be, but he didn't really bring any of that 
playmaking you were looking for to the table. And then I thought as the year went on, his shot became a little bit more consistent. He became more comfortable taking it. Um, you saw a little bit more of that flash and a little bit more playmaking, um, especially the last month and a half or so of the season when it was really just him uh, after MB got hurt. And, you know, I think I think you're right that that uh, the NBA world as a whole, but also I think Sixers fans are a little bit down on, on Darius Sharic just because I do think, unlike Embiid, who came in and was every bit of the numbers he put up, uh, and even like, I, I think, you know, going to like the rookie of the year thing, I think even Sixers fans, as much as they wanted Embiid to win it on the, on the 31 games he played, I think there was less less upset that Malcolm Brogdon won it um, on lesser numbers than Dario, just because I think when people watched Malcolm Brogdon, they understood that like this guy plays a, a really specific role and is awesome at it right now as a rookie. And Dario is putting up it's more of an MCW situation um, where he's putting up really big numbers on the team that doesn't have anyone right now. And that's, a, that's impressive on a, like, on its own. Like not anyone can do that, but um, you know, I think you'd rather have, if you're penciling in a guy you want, in your rotation in the future. I think if Malcolm Brogdon makes more sense, but I think, I think Darius Arch could play that role. Like could be a, a, you know, 20 minutes off the bench guy. And, um, I think he needs to become more of the player he was at the end of the year where he was handling the ball more, um, more of a secondary playmaker. I think, I think the way I hope they use him is I, I really don't want to see him and Ben Simmons on the floor together all that much. So if, Simmons is going to play, you know, 30, 34, whatever minutes a night at the four. I want Dario Saric to back up all those minutes. And then you find a few spots where you can play the two of them side by side or where it's a small lineup and Dario or or Ben Simmons are playing the five. You know, if you're playing a team that's going small, like have a few minutes where they're overlapping, but mostly have him be um play like a Simmons light role and that where he's handling the ball less than probably it'll be like TJ McConnell or Jared Bayless or whoever the backup point guard is going to be when he's on the floor. Um, but I think it is valuable to have a secondary ball handler because they don't really have another guy. Once you take Ben Simmons off the floor and Embiid to an extent, um, it's really just TJ McConnell is, is the other, the other guy you feel really comfortable running the offense and maybe you'd say Jared Bayless although I think he's more of a spot up he's more of a combo guard than a, a traditional point guard and then and then the other guys in your in your rotation are like Nick Stauskas, Timothy Lawawu, um, Furkan Korkmaz it's guys who don't have that much ball handling experience so I think Dario does bring that to the table when Ben Simmons is off the floor so speaking of ball handling my my Tony Roten Google alert went off <laughs> Let me know. What happened? Well, let me know. You wrote you wrote an article on Bleacher Report detailing the uh, the complete history of the process. Yes. So uh, you are. I, I got excited. I thought I thought you were like no. I'm not, break I'm not, a, I'm not a Tony Roden signing on the podcast. <laughs> I'm not breaking any news. This is just something something you wrote. Uh, a complete history of the process. Uh, so you're you're a bit of an expert on the process. I'm mm-hmm. at, least, at the very least an unofficial expert on the process. So. Do you think Sam Hinkie would have traded up to draft Marco Fultz? I think it's really interesting. That's that uh, that I guess that line of argument um, 
really hit basically once once the the excitement from the trade died down a couple days after and right after the draft. Uh, I think a lot of the pro process and more more so I saw it on the anti process side. A lot of people who were anti Hinky to begin with saying like. Well, Hinky would have never made this deal. He would have just like traded for more picks or like he wouldn't have given up assets to do this. It's like I don't really I don't I think whether Hinky would have done this specific deal is really hard to say. But I think that. And this is why I'm, I've been happier with Brian Colangelo than I thought I'd be. He's actually been like a pretty good transition from Hinky and that he's been like a more tempered and like agent friendly version, basically, and more you know, focus towards winning, which is just like makes sense for where the Sixers are right now and building a team that can win. Um, he's just been a more tempered version of what I think Hinky could have been. But I think the problem with Hinky was he developed such a stigma around him and around him with other teams and with agents. I think it was, I don't know if he would have been able to do what Brian Colangelo has done in the post Hinky or post process era. But I think, I think in, in reality, like, this deal or something like this deal is exactly what Sam Hinkie was trying to do, which is like have all these future picks, have all these young players. And when a team comes to you and either it's Kyrie Irving, they're trying to trade you or Paul George, or it's, um, you know, the first overall pick in the draft, or it's an opportunity to, you know, move up some other spot in the draft. Like, I think it's, it's the, he called it optionality, but I think it's just having, flexibility to to do that and you see like the Celtics were just able to make this Kyrie Irving trade which I'm not sure if I love the trade that much but they're able to do it because they have all these picks and they have Ante Zizic and you know it's putting yourself in a position where you can you have the assets to outbid other teams or to make an offer that other teams can't make like I think that's why the Sixers were in that position because they had you know the pick swap got them from five to three then they also had these two future picks that they're able to trade uh or trade the best of one of them. Um, and, you know, without without a few of those hinky trades, you just wouldn't have had that. And I don't think the Sixers would have had to give up probably such a haul of of other things and, and their own, you know, if you're imagining this trade without the Lakers and Kings picks, the Sixers are maybe giving up like a deal more similar to what the Nets gave up, where it's like they're giving up their pick in every other year for the next three or next five years and pick swaps the other years or like, I think when you have, you know, really valuable draft assets like that Lakers pick, like that future Kings pick, um, it just frees you up to make deals that don't that keep your future intact while also allowing you to like strike when the iron's hot. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know if Sam Hickey would have been able to make the trade, with the, especially with the Celtics. But I think that it's the type of trade he would have wanted to make, if that makes sense. I like it. There, there's such a cult of the hinky folks. I feel like this could be the splintering point where you start getting different denominations in the hinky religion. Like th- this is, this is the Anglican Episcopal split where they're like, no, like hinky would not have traded a future first, such a, yeah. such a valuable commodity, you know, for folks. So I, I think no, it's, I, fo- I, I see that. I actually think you're totally right. I, I see that already. I see people, um, there's already a pro Nerlens and anti Nerlens. Uh, that's like the biggest faction. That's like the Catholics and the uh, <laughs> Protestants or whatever. I don't, I'm not Christian, so I don't. Man, I mean, totally miss speaking about that. But that seems like a big. That seems like the larger split um, is the ones who look at Nerlens Noel, and we'll talk, I guess, about what what's going on with his qualifying offer and all that. But who look at Nerlens Noel and say like that guy is a you know. 
a blue chip prospect they just let walk for nothing. And other people were saying like the fact that nobody wanted him at all they were able to get was Justin Anderson and a fake first round pick is like a sign that he wasn't that good. I think there are people who who've taken pro process to be pro hinky um, and defending hinky and almost almost like in a in a like MAGA kind of way in a way that like nothing hinky can do could ever be wrong in a way that feels very similar to like yeah. when I see some Trump supporters online. But then there are other people who are more like principled and more it's more about ideology. And if Hinky did something that didn't match that ideology, they would they could see that and they care more about the ideology than Hinky. Other people seem to care more about Hinky than the ideology. So speaking of Nerlens, who you brought up, now that he has accepted the qualifying offer with Dallas, as a Sixers fan, does that make you feel justified that you traded him away, that maybe teams don't want him that much? Or does it give you any regret that like, oh, maybe we could have had him for cheap for another year? Well, I think I think the, the obvious thing or the, the thing that a lot of people did was well, we just signed Amir Johnson to a one-year deal for, what, $8 million or $9 million and we could have gotten Nerlens Noel for half that, and he's you know maybe kept around longer if he played well. I just think that the situation was so toxic at that point, and I think that's more on Nerlens Noel than on the Sixers. Like, and I think you you see that in that there was no real interest in Noel on the on the open market, and there was just a lot of rumblings about his attitude and about um, his agent and wanting a ma- you know four year max and like. I think he's just kind of a guy that teams don't want to deal with. And I think it it got to a point with the Sixers where it seemed really contentious. I mean, he basically sat out. He basically held out, which NBA players just don't do. But he held out. I mean, camp camp started. He showed up for a little bit and then like said he had a like it was like knee sore or it was like hip soreness or something. And then all of a sudden he's getting this like preventative surgery for a like a meniscus thing or in, is, I forget exactly what it was. Um, and then he comes back and he's like not doing an interview. It was just like really weird. Um, and Brett Brown was kind of throwing him under the bus during this and Brett Brown never throws anyone under the bus. So it's just like, I don't think there's a way New Orleans Noel could have stayed. So I, in that sense, I don't have regret. Um, I see it more and I would say I'm, I don't want to say I'm in the anti Nerlens crowd, but when I talked about that split before, I think I'm more in the I'm I'd like to think I'm a more a more rational process supporter in that I can see that there were mistakes made. Um appreciate the the aspects of it that I think went really well and put the Sixers in the position they're in now or set them up for this. But but understand that there were a lot of mistakes made and that's part of why even if I think Sam Hinkie should still be there or should have had a chance to turn things around or to like cash in on some of those assets he had. I still think there were a lot of mistakes made. I think the Nerlens Noel, maybe less of the pick, but just how everything was handled after he was drafted. And once it became clear, he wasn't going to be a future piece once he drafted Embiid and Okafor. Um, You know, I looked at it when I saw that he got a qualifying offer and said, you know what? I don't know if he's that good. I don't know if he's that good. And I don't, and clearly he doesn't have value. Um, And the fact that he, reportedly turned down like a $17 million a year deal um, because he only wanted the max and then ended up taking a qualifying offer. It just seems like that, but it was more just, it was more um, to me. It made me go, you know what? This was never going to work here. Um, if they kept him around and tried to sign him, 
maybe he would have signed the qualifying offer and we'd be in the same situation, but he wouldn't want to be here long term. And this would be, um, you know, a really untenable situation. So I, it's kind of like just cutting your losses at that point. That's how I looked at it. Yeah. Gotcha. I think that's probably right. I feel like him turning down the big contract is a, Oh, like I don't, yeah, maybe, maybe it is best to, to, to move on. All right. Last couple things, couple of questions. Last year there was the Saric and Embiid were both in the rookie of the year race. This year, you're going to have Ben Simmons and Marco Fultz. If you go to Liberty Ballers right now, there are the following two headlines. One, Ben Simmons' goal is to be the best player in the NBA. (laughs) And two, Marco Fultz's goal is to be the best basketball player of all time. So what can we do to motivate Ben Simmons? (laughs) I didn't even see. I I saw the Ben Simmons one. I missed the Marco Fultz wants to be the, the greatest player of all time. Um. That's pretty awesome, though. Oh, I see it now. That's that's really funny. Um, so who? Well, I'll blame it out. Who are you betting on? I'm going for the more motivated player, the one, the one striving to be the best basketball player of all time. But who do you think finishes higher in a rookie of the year vote? I think it'll probably be Ben Simmons, um, mainly because I think he'll put up two two reasons. I think one, he's the bigger name, he's the more exciting player. I think on the on the court. Um, He's going to get, especially with them being on national TV a lot, he's going to have the ball in his hands all the time. He's going to make these, I mean, you remember in the summer league, he played, what, five games? And he had, like, I mean, you could watch, it was like a 10-minute Ben Simmons summer league highlight reel, and it feels like a career, like, assist highlight reel. It's like watching Jason Williams, like, career assists. It's like he had 10 or 12 unbelievable assists and like crazy, you know, no look passes in that just those like five games he played. I think he's going to be really exciting, even if he isn't that efficient at first or, um, you know, his shot's still not there. I think he's going to be, um, he'll be exciting. And I think also he'll have the ball in his hands a lot more. I think Marco Fultz is more, I think Marco Fultz is clearly the number three guy of the top three the Sixers have like and beats clearly the most talented. I think Simmons is definitely behind that. Cause like basically everyone in the league, every young player in the league's behind that. Um, but is way closer to that than Marco Fultz is. I think Marco Fultz is like a really great fit. And, um, I think he's going to be a, a really good player for the Sixers. But I, I think I would, I could see him struggling right off the gate or out the gate more than I could see Ben Simmons. So I'm, I'm betting on Ben Simmons, but realistically, I'm probably betting on Lonzo Ball. Um, yeah. I just think, I think Lonzo Ball is. Good. It's like all the reasons that Ben Simmons, I think, is going to finish higher than Marco Fultz. He's like Lonzo Ball is super exciting. He's playing for the Lakers. He's he looks really good. I mean, he looked awesome in summer league, and I think he'll if that continues, he'll put up really nice numbers and um, be on Sports Center all the time, and you know you're going to see his plays on Twitter and Reddit and all that. And that's kind of what matters, you know, it's cause I, I mean, you, I'm sure you know the kind of people who vote for this and it, it's not always as fans. You, you wish that everyone voting on all-star and rookie of the year and, or not all-star rookie of the year and MVP and all that was like a, re, a real student of the game. And that's just not always how it is. It's a lot of people who, you know, are and, and not to any fault of their own. It's like people who are, 
you know, the sideline reporter for the Miami Heat. It's like, how can you expect that person to know that much about the Milwaukee Bucks or about the Portland Trail Blazers? Like, you know, they see those teams two times a year, or three times a year, and otherwise are like fully entrenched in their own thing. So I think they people know what they see a little bit of, you know, slipping through highlights or on Twitter or whatever. I think Lonzo Ball is going to be all over the place this year if he plays well. Okay, last thing. You mentioned like the, t- the top three talents on the team all are untested, uh, unproven outside of the, the brief glimpse of, of the 30-ish games uh, that Embiid gave us. If Embiid continues to struggle, which I think is a realistic expectation based on his three years of, of health problems, <clears throat> w- what are your expectations for this season if Embiid isn't a part, like, like a big part of it? Like if he's playing 30 or less games, like how does this team, how does this team focus? And, and like, what, what kind of, what kind of wins are you expecting in that situation? I think it's really rough. Um, I, I think they'll, they'll still finish, I think with more wins than last season. This is assuming Embiid plays a little bit. Like if he just doesn't play at all this season, I could see them having a similar or worse record than last, than they did last year when they had 28 wins. Um, if he plays, like, let's say he plays 31 games again, I probably see like low thirties. That that was kind of the scenario I was talking about before me, like 32, 33 wins. Um, I think Embiid is so clearly the, the key because he brings so much offensively. He was one of the best defensive bigs in the league last season as a rookie. Like it's, it's really tough to imagine them moving forward without him. And it's, you know, if they lose Ben Simmons for a period of time, it's like, okay, Dario Saric slides in there and it's fine. It's not as good, but it's like, it's okay. Or if if Marco Fultz gets hurt, like TJ McConnell's not anywhere near as talented, but at least he's like competent and Jared Bayless is competent. If Joel Embiid gets hurt, you're basically down to Amir Johnson, Rashawn Holmes, and Jalil Okafor. And unless Okafor takes a real step forward, you're basically down to Amir Johnson and Rashawn Holmes. And I just... That's such a huge drop. I mean, you're basically taking a superstar level player when he's healthy uh, and dropping him down to like a ninth or tenth man, like rotation big. So, um, yeah, I, I, that would be really rough if he if he misses any extended period of time, which is also kind of what I was alluding to earlier. Why I'm why I'm surprised the line's so high, and I'm surprised that they're on national TV so much because. Joel Embiid's played 31 games in three seasons, and if he's not playing, they're not going to be very good. So it's it doesn't it won't take much to knock the Sixers off course. So it'll be really exciting if he's healthy the whole year, but it could be really rough if he's not. Yeah, I'm 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 definitely hoping for health. I'm excited for you guys. I hope this is not the peak. I hope the the line being set at 42 and a half is not like the high point of the year. I hope, I hope we get, you know, yeah. let's hope like 50 games. Come on, 50 games of Embiid and then Fultz and Simmons, you know, being healthy will be, will be good times. Well, Max, hey, thanks, man, for coming on again. Uh, tell people where they can buy some of your shirts and listen to your podcast. Yeah, so the podcast and the T-shirt company are both called The Step Over. Uh, Step Over Tees, or at Step Over Tees is the, uh, the handle on Twitter. Uh, at the step over pod is the podcast. Um, I also tweet about both those things a lot. Uh, my handle is at max Rappaport, uh, spelled R A P P A P O R T. And, uh, yeah, you can find all my stuff there and it's in my bio and whatnot. All right. Well, thanks man. Uh, go enjoy your breakfast banana. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Thanks to max for coming on. 
one more time. Always a pleasure to have him. Remember, write a five-star iTunes review, and we will read it on air and give you a shout-out. Send me a direct message on Twitter at Fast Break Break if you want a sticker. And we have four spots left in the International Stackhouse of Pancakes Negative Fantasy League that will be starting up at the start of the NBA season. You can join that at patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. We will also have regular head-to-head fantasy league for those of you who sign up at that tier level. All right, thanks for listening. You guys are the best. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing. Yeah, never apologize for being GNG. Fast break, break, man. You understand? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs>